0: Hey, 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 this is the rest, the rest of my thoughts, the rest of our church, and maybe the rest for our souls. Disclaimer, this is not a sermon. I'm a pastor and a preacher, but this is not a sermon. These are my thoughts and interests. And these are your thoughts and your interests. The rest is a time for open and safe dialogue and opinions. In the rest, we're going to talk about it all. We're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about people. We're going to talk about leadership. It's just the rest. It's everything else. And this is episode two of The rest from the 2022 lineup and restart of the rest. And today we have a great broadcast. Today we're going to dive into uh, footnotes, which uh, is exactly what it sounds like. It's more of the stuff from uh, this week's message at the church. If you uh, are listening to this podcast at a later date, uh, today I'm going to be referencing week three of Why Look at the Sky And uh, then we're going to have our aficionado, our maestro from last week, part two, uh, John McCambridge, is going to come out again here and join me in a discussion uh, about learning because at 514 Church, we're in the season of learning. And so we're going to kind of pick up part two and talk about one specific uh, example of the process of learning and the importance of it and the challenge of it and, and, and uh, as it relates to a very hot button issue in, uh, in church world and, and in culture in general to, to some extent. And then we're going to finish it off with, uh, with I'm excited. Uh, but for now, we're going to kick off with my opening Rant. So this is the, the part of the podcast where I just get to kind of pop off, if you will. Like, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to just kind of rap about something that is really maybe just completely irrelevant. But to some of you, you may find uh, annoying or amusing or some combination of the two. This weekend, I went to a funeral. I flew to Tampa to go to a funeral, and uh, to do it, I wanted to make sure I did it in, in the latter part, like in the evening of Sunday, because the funeral was on Monday morning, and, uh, you know, I got to be with my family and my kids, and we have basketball games and, and all that stuff all day Sunday. So I didn't fly out of Columbus, Ohio, to Tampa until 9 p.m., and uh, I, I, as I was boarding and as I was waiting, I was watching – uh, the Chiefs Buffalo Bills divisional game. And it was incredible. And it was like this amazing game. And basically right when the fourth quarter came up, uh, I lost signal and I was flying Allegiant, which uh, was great because it was $42 to fly one way to Tampa, but it was bad because there was no Wi-Fi and no screens on the back of the chairs. And so I lost the connection and had no idea what was happening with this football game as it went into the fourth quarter. And I I don't know. I mean, let me look real quick. What, what What was the box score of that game going into the fourth quarter? In the beginning of the fourth quarter, the divisional round, let me see this real quick. I'm looking on my phone in the beginning of the 4th quarter let's see what was the score it was pretty close it looks like at the end of the 3rd quarter the chiefs were up by 2 and so they're up by 2 going into the 4th and i i lose signal and i'm just like oh come on you know i mean i want to watch these games these are the best games if you hadn't watched the other games that were happening That weekend, I mean, they were some of the most incredible games. The 49ers beat the Packers on a last-second, you know, or whatever, last last four-second field goal. The Rams and the Buccaneers game, I think, at one time was twenty-seven to three. The Rams were up, and then the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers came storming back, and Tom Brady did what he did. But then the Rams pulled out in the end, and of course, the day you know before all that, there was the Bengals Titans, which the story there is the fact that the Bengals won, and the and the one seed Titans lost. And so every single game was close. I mean each one of those games was a three-point game. 19 to 16 the Bengals game, 49ers 13 to 10, Rams 30 to 27. And so here comes this this Bills Chiefs game and these are two of the greatest quarterbacks and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and they're just kind of going back and forth and and uh, the game is just heating up and then I lose signal and then of course as soon as I get signal um uh, when I'm landing, I start getting these texts from some of my friends that I text during football games. One in particular, I always text West, but I, I also text uh, Kenny Sipe, who is the Kenny Sipes, who is the um, uh, he's actually like a, a a football nerd. I don't know if he lets everybody know that, but he's a huge Vikings fan. So he 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 and I always text about Buckeye games during Buc- Buckeye games, Buckeye football games, and then during these crazy fun games, and he. He, like, texts me these, you know, these kind of open eyes, and, and, and he texts me this, like, whoa, and then he's, like, did you see that? And he didn't know I was flying. And then I'm, like, no, I missed the whole fourth quarter. And he's, like, oh, my gee. He just, he can't, he's, like, you missed that? And then he's, like, do you want me to tell you? And I'm, like, well, not, tell me what? And he's, like, he texts me that this was the greatest football game of, that he's ever seen in his life. And I'm like, okay, well, he's, he's probably being a little dramatic. Maybe he's a little bored. I don't know why he's so excited. But he, he texts me, it's the greatest football game I've ever seen in my life. And then I open up Twitter, and everyone is saying that. Every person that's in the sports world is saying, well, that was the greatest football game maybe ever to be played in, in the history of the world. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you kidding me right now? I just I I was flying for an hour and a half, and I missed the greatest football game in the history of the world. And of course, I when I got to my hotel, I, I watched the uh, the highlights, and I was like, Oh my goodness, unbelievable! What a game! But I could not believe that, you know, I fly maybe twice a year, if that. And I flew for an hour and a half, and it just so happened to be that I missed the end part of the greatest football game of all time. It makes me think of that movie, if you if you've ever saw that movie with Jimmy Fallon uh, about the Boston Red Sox. I think it's called, oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's about how Jimmy Fallon is this crazy, crazy Boston Red Sox fan and he gets tickets handed down to him from his dad and then he uh he he falls in love with this girl, but there's this conflict between him and her because he loves the Red Sox more than anything because it's like his family to him. And then eventually uh, he goes to every single game, but then eventually he decides, I'm going to miss, you know, a game for her to prove that I actually love her. And he misses the, like, the game seven Uh, series where the Boston Red Sox win the World Series after whatever the 100-year curse of the Bambino or whatever it was, and he missed that moment. I mean, I I know that what I missed isn't that dramatic, but it felt like it, okay? It felt like it. So I hope you all who watched that game, I hope you had a great time and and enjoyed it. And uh, so now we're going to jump into the next part of the broadcast, the podcast, the cast called Footnotes. Okay, so footnotes, picking up the rest, the rest of the message. Uh, if you're just kind of uh, checking this out and this is your first one, then you need to go watch Why Look at the Sky week three, because in week three, I, uh, I unpacked how important it is for uh, those of us who call ourselves Christians to understand that uh, the purpose and the meaning of life is found in the Genesis narrative and that the purpose and the meaning of life that we find in the articulation of the story, uh, uh, the creation story, the origin story in Genesis, that that actually is the target for why the church exists. That what Jesus is doing with salvation and dying for our sins and giving us the Holy Spirit is to put us back onto this move of being humans who are made in the image of God, and therefore, whatever Genesis chapter one says about the purpose of life is still the purpose of life. And the speed bump, the pit, the problem of sin and death that was changed by Jesus uh, is 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 now a beginning of us moving back into what God's original intention for humanity was. And so, in, in that in that message, I talk about how you know the purpose. Of life is responsibility, and that we need to respond to God with our abilities because Genesis chapter one, just to summarize. It shows us that God took a formless wasteland and he gave it order and then he gave it purpose. And then he, he created humans who are made in his image. And in Genesis 1, he says, now it's your job to rule. It's your job to give order and purpose to this 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 earth, this project, and take it forward. And so we're, we're not just made in God's image and that we look like him and that we're spirit or, or just, just the image of us, but the, the idea of image means that that we act like him. We're made to act like him. We're made to carry out his work on be- his behalf. And when we do his work for him, that according to the Bible is worship. And so the, the whole Genesis narrative is showing us this was God's target. This was God's plan for you to rule, for you to have authority, for you to subdue, for you to take control, for you to take things that don't have form, give them form and give them purpose, give them form and give them purpose. And that includes everything that, that we see if we retroactively kind of look at the New Testament and what Jesus tells us the greatest commandment is after the whole story of Scripture unfolds, Jesus summarizes what it means to to be like him, to honor him, and to do what it means to be um, a, a, a Christian is to love God and then love people, and and that they're, they're the same idea. That now and and ultimately that the reality is is that if we love people, we're loving God, and that is a life of worship. That if we actually give our lives and selves to people and serve them and care for them, then we are loving God, and that is is ultimately you know Jesus's call to us as as what it means to be like him to love people and to live our lives serving one another. And it adds to that, that, that loving people is, is in it is included this, this reality that we're, we're not just supposed to love people and have great relationships and be forbearing and patient and gentle and kind and, and all those different things, but that we're also supposed to take up the responsibility of taking care of people and taking care of this earth. Uh, not in a not in a uh, a sense of just you know being necessarily uh, a good steward, but to actually like take this earth, take control of it, you, you take the raw material of it and and shape it into things that make the world great and good and do all the th- same things that God did in a very literal sense. With all of uh, matter and all of the things that are here, but we're we're supposed to, and I said we're supposed to take our talents, our time, because one of the things God forms is time, and he gives it order and purpose. We're supposed to take our talents, our time, and all the things or matter, and we're supposed to order it and give it purpose, and that's what it means to be human. And so we, we've been given the responsibility to care for this earth, to care for each other. And when we do that, we are exhibiting, we are living out God's original design for humanity. So, I mean, it's a lot. Like, I cannot begin to tell you how passionate I am about the, the idea that you can read Genesis chapter one, and if you read it for why it was written to show humans the purpose of, of life and creation and why God did what he did did is to have his image bearers continue to do what he did and to take this earth and move it forward, build it forward and to do very good things for our very good God, which is, is worship to work, to love, to give, to serve. And, and so you, you can, you can apply that to anything in your life. And that, that's what I talked about. Obviously there are things that are just flat out wrong and immoral and bad, but really you can look at anything and you can do it for the glory of God. So I got into why we do things and how important it is to know why we're doing what we're doing because we can, you know, we can lead a church and do it for us and that's sin or we can uh, you know, lead a church and do it for God, and that would be worship. And on the outside, it can look the same, but really God does care about our hearts and intentions, and then he cares about what we do with them. And so for the individual, the heart can go way off base, but you can kind of be a whitewashed tomb and, and fake it and make it look like it's good. And God still, I think, uses those, uh, those ill-motivated actions in the world to bring about good, even though they come from the depths of darkness or impure motive. So God will use that. But for the individual to know that you are in a life of worship is to look at what God ordered you to do, the responsibility of taking care of, of this earth, of loving people, of subduing and ruling and bringing order and purpose into to wherever you are you've got to back in and go am i am i doing this for the right reason am i doing this to to bring glory to myself am i doing this to bring honor to myself and i mean that is the, that is like one of the human problems in the christian narrative is it's just it, the the scriptures are so clear that the idea of humility and why we do things uh, matters so much to God that He's looking at the heart, that He's looking at the the, the why that you do things, um, and so you're understanding and you're living in the tension of e- even when we want to do the right things for the right reasons and want to do the right things, we struggle, and so we're constantly going to God to God, you know, continue to transform my heart as I as I obey you and and fulfill my responsibilities, and so. Um, part of this this whole idea is is that that idea of God not just saying you can do this with the world, but to see it as a responsibility that it's something that God handed to us and said, now it's your job to do this. You you got to do this. It's yours to take. So every single day you wake up, think of your life not not as just a, a you know a, a buffet of options that you can kind of do whatever you want. But God said, here's what you're supposed to do. Whatever you do, do very good things for our very good God. Do it for the right reasons, and that's worship. And so you can make surfboards. You can be a CEO. You can be a musician. You can be a stay-at-home mom. You can, can, can take this all the way down to just your friendships and, and what is the heart behind your friendships and how are you giving order and purpose to those friendships um, into your marriage, into how you, you parent. This is God's, you know, we should look at everything we do and go, I need wisdom to take this, you know, as a, as a dad, just, you can take this anywhere, as a dad. I look at my kids and I'm like, in order for me to be a good dad, I've got to take this raw material of our relationship, of what we do, what we think, how we ta- talk, how we interact, um, my influence on them, my, my ability to help them and nurture them. And that, that is just kind of chaos and it's just there. But my job is to seek wisdom, to gain strength, to bring order to my family, to my kids and their lives so that, that they feel loved and that they move into the world with great purpose. Like I have to find the wisdom and I have to subdue that. And it's not just something that I get to do. It's my responsibility to do that. God is like, that's your job. That's your job. And and the, the heart behind this series has been that we often move into the Christian life thinking that we don't have a job. We don't have a job to do that. The work is done. It's all done. You know, that that all of Christianity can be summarized in just, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and, you know, it is finished. All the work is done. It's nothing that I can do. It's all what he did. And that has everything is true about that as it's related to salvation, but nothing is true about that as related to the purpose of salvation. And so I'm passionate about it. And one of the areas in a footnote uh, regard to this message is, that people I know is is if you came from a traditional background that that kind of teaches uh, you know the evangelical uh, track you, uh, you know that you you get saved and and that uh, you know that means that you're born again. And your body's going to die, but when you die, your spirit separates from your body, and that's kind of the end of your body. And then you get to go up into heaven, and that's that's it. And then there's this idea that this earth is going to be destroyed, basically like completely destroyed, and in the sense that you know, uh, it it, it, in the long term, it doesn't matter at all. And so there is a, a a thinking that, okay, if we are supposed to work, and we have a big job to do, then why should we do that here? Because if salvation is what it's all about, and I got that squared away, and the earth is going to go away, what? So I guess I understand the relationship component, and I need to love people, and you know, I need to care with people and have good relationships, and those relationships can transcend in the spirit world in the future. But ultimately, the earth is going away. We don't need to take care of it; it's ours to consume and to, and to just use. And then God's going to just throw it all away. And everything about that is not actually um, true to the holistic biblical narrative. Uh, there's a couple different areas of the passage uh, of the scriptures that that people have misinterpreted to To say that this earth is going to pass away, I mean Jesus even says uh the, you know that heaven and earth will pass away, but the, Lord, the Word of the Lord will last will endure forever, and so people are, oh, there you go, heaven's going to pass away, earth is going to pass away, and so now only the Word of God is going to be eternal and 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 so we, we if we take this idea that you know the earth is going to go away, then then we go that 's what Jesus is talking about there. That's what he's doing. He's he's reminding us that this earth doesn't matter. And that's not what he's doing there. What he's actually doing there is he's saying that the heavens and the earth are going to change. And what is... True about them now is not always going to be true about them because heaven and earth aren't the way they ought to be. So, the way you think of heaven right now is going to change, and the way you think of earth is going to change. And he uses the phrase pass away. And so, we interpret that that means it's going to be destroyed and thrown into some kind of universe trash can. And then he's going to make a new one from scratch. But that's not what he's saying. The point of the passage is to say what God says and who God is is the thing that never changes. So that will never change. My words are true. And so when you start to look at the narrative, you look at the book of uh, some of the epistles in, in the book of Ephesians, and you see that what God is up to is he's recapitulating, he's retelling the story of all humanity, and that Jesus starts new creation on earth with a resurrection, and that the resurrection story is the beginnings of new creation for this earth, that he's making all things new, starting with your body and also with this planet. And so this starts to move into, okay, God is doing something now. He's doing something here. And Jesus's prayer when he teaches his disciples is that of uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like God's whole plan was originally to be with us on this planet to live that way. It was broken and separated by sin. And so God had to do the salvific move and move into our space with w- as Jesus, and he does so, and he gives us gives us life, and he gives us a new start, new creation on this earth. And so the trajectory is not that earth is going to be thrown away, and even your bodies are going to be resurrected, and the book of Romans shows us that, uh, that the world is kind of waiting for resurrection the same way your bodies are. Your bodies are groaning, and they will be resurrected, so it is your body. Now, it will pass away, but God's going to remake you, your physical body. So the same thing is true of the earth. He's going to remake everything that is good in the name of God for eternity with you in this earth. It's going to look different. It's going to be shaken up. And you look at the the book of Revelation and it says that, you know, John looks up and 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 he sees coming down from heaven, you know, heaven and earth, heaven coming down like a bride to its groom. And we're seeing the reuniting of heaven and earth. And so we have to get into our minds that, the earth matters because if the earth doesn't matter, then the original vocation and responsibility that is given in Genesis chapter 1 becomes very confusing and we all don't know what we're supposed to do. But if if earth does matter and whatever's done in the Lord, which in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that everything done by faith is not in vain, so everything that we do here matters, the way we love people matters, the way we we handle the fish uh, and, and, this, and the birds and the animals and the land and Everything that we do here, it matters, and what we do in the name of God is going to last forever, and it's not in vain. It's not useless. We have to get that in our mind so that we, when we're saved, can start to get to work on what matters because we believe that it matters forever. Now, there's a classic passage. This is the one that people cite to me all the time when when I bring this up, when I bring up this idea, and and I'm just going to read. Uh, to you, there's a passage in Second Peter verses 3 where it is talking about the end times and it talks about heaven uh, and, and, and earth specifically uh, particularly earth being burned up, so I'm just going to read you literally like two paragraphs from a commentary by N.T. Wright on Second uh, Peter verse 3, uh, 1 through 10 and I want you to go read that and then you can, you can listen, maybe pause the, the, the podcast right now and, then, and read it and then listen to this So let me just read through this. An older Bible version, 2 Peter 3, 1 through 10, ends with the warning that the earth and all the works on it will be burned up. A cosmic destruction, the end of the physical world. Is that really what Peter wrote? If so, it's the only place in the whole of early Christian literature where there is an idea, where this idea is found. But in some early manuscripts of the New Testament, including two of the very best, the word for will be burned up isn't there. It isn't there. Instead, there is a word which means will be found or will be discovered or will be disclosed. Perhaps will be found out is another way of getting at the meaning. What I believe has happened is this. Several early scribes faced with, uh, will be found thought to themselves. That can't be right. It makes no sense. Surely Peter meant will be burnt up. And so they changed and, uh, they changed the translation and the change was made. What will happen as many early Christian teachers said is that some sort of fire literal or metaphorical will come upon the earth not to destroy, but to test everything out and to purify it by burning up everything that doesn't meet the test. If we imagine that God wants simply to burn up the present world world entirely, leaving us as disembodied souls in some kind of timeless eternity, then why should we worry about what we do here and now? Why not just enjoy life as best we can and wait for whatever is coming next? But if God intends to renew Ephesians, John chapter 20, new creation and Isaiah 65, if God intends to renew the heavens and the earth as Isaiah promised, then what we do in the present matters. It matters for us and it matters for God's world as a whole. And so uh, that, that is like, a, that's a huge component. And as you're listening to this, you, you might have this whole notion of the rapture running through your mind. Well, wait, aren't we being taken away from here? Are, are, are we, are we ultimately going, look, look, you have to, when you are interpreting this this, this story, you have to look at the arc. You cannot look at one passage of scripture and believe that that one passage of scripture lives as a truth on its own. You have to do good theology. You have to know the narrative. You have to know the interpretations. You have to know the context. You have to fit into every uh, every interpretation. You have to fit it into the broader narrative. And Genesis chapter 1 has the start of the narrative. Revelation 20, 21, that has the end of the narrative. And the narrative is More simple than we've made it. God made heaven and earth. He wanted to dwell with His image bearers on earth as they carry about the a continuation of a creation project. They decided to, instead of worship God and work for God, to worship themselves and work for themselves. That brought about sin and death and separation. God went on a journey through his broken people, the people that were carrying the problems. He kept the promise, and then he actually brought into their world the salvation that they needed from themselves. In that, we get Jesus and we get are given the Holy Spirit and the church Church, and the church is the beginning of new humanity set back on task to do what God originally designed us to do. And one day he will come back, and all of death, which uh 1 Corinthians, I think, in Romans 8 says that's the final thing. Physical bodily death is the final thing that God will solve. He's He's given us His Spirit, He's put us back on mission. He's given us our tribe, the church. He's given us the the renewed responsibility of of, of vocation and rulership and and leading this, this world and loving one another, and the last thing that will be solved for everyone that is in Christ is the bodily death, and we will, in Christ, resurrect on this earth what has been made in his name for his kingdom will withstand. What won't, it will be burnt up, and we will begin again anew in a new heaven, a new Earth scenario the way God wanted it to now that is the basic arc so your, your interpretation has got to fit inside of that and a lot of times we don't have that and we haven't had that. And so a lot of people go off, but man, when we get it that straight, I, I gotta tell you like the idea of God handing humans the responsibility that it's our job, uh, that, that in that we find our sense of meaning and how we're supposed to spend our time and what we're supposed to do. I can't tell you something that I've ever even heard of that comes close to mattering. I, every person I talk to wants to know what the meaning of life is. Why am I here? What should I do? Where should I go to school? You 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 cannot find a more clear outline and direction for what it means to be a human. And uh, you know, the truth of the matter is is that the message of the gospel is a stumbling block, and it's offensive. To hear to someone, to, to tell someone that you, you need Jesus, to tell someone that he's, he's got this purpose for your life and that he's God, it, people don't want to buy that. And so when they don't buy that, they don't buy the narrative and they lose out. And there's a lot of other reasons, but I digress. I, I, I'm i very, very, very passionate and I won't be able to get to all of that. So uh, if you're hearing all of this and you've got alarms going off and flags going up and questions kind of popping in your mind, send me an email, send an email to Joel at 514 church.com and ask a question about the rest. Um, this is a journey that's worth going on. This is something worth wrestling with. So, um, with that, we're going to jump into, uh, kind of part two of a segment that we started last week, excuse me, with John McCambridge about uh, about learning about learning, and this is uh, this is a segment that I call the maestro. I called it the maestro. I also call it the aficionado. So it's both. It's a maestro that's an aficionado, and an aficionado that's a maestro. And so we bring somebody in who uh, is is an expert in the field, and we have a discussion about it. Um, and uh, so right now we're going to bring in John McCambridge. This is the maestro, and here he is. Ladies and gentlemen, there he is, John McCambridge.
1: What's up, man? How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. And Thanks as for I, having me back, yeah, man, that's a big deal. I know. I've, I've been insisting that people around the office call me maestro, but they weren't. <laughs> They're not doing that. So I thought maybe I lost it. You might have lost
0: it. No, I, I mean I'm the, back now. Hey, just wait, man. I know you're like new. The reason that you're here is you're you're a, a, a thought leader and a theologian and, uh, a great teacher. And so we're talking about learning, but you're new, relatively new to the pastor gambit, the whole thing, you know, doing weddings and funerals and being asked to speak. Yeah. And man, it, it is a vulnerable state of affairs because if you go speak somewhere and you don't get asked back, that is a, that is a very direct message <laughs> that they don't like you or yeah. they really don't want you back it, really. or something.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, something. That, that, that's a that's a scary thing.
0: I, I would say over twenty years, I'm batting fifty percent. Yeah, well, that's a good batting? I don't know right if here, it's though. good or not. For, yeah, there's it, a couple places that brought me back a bunch of times. Yeah, and then there's plenty of places that were like, thanks "See you later, man." Here. Thanks for being here this this. <laughs> thanks for being here this one time. Yeah, we appreciate it. We appreciate we'll, we'll see it. See you later. Exactly. All right, so we're going to pick up a discussion uh, with John about learning uh, in, in a specific area of learning and a process of learning. We're in the church, we're in the season of learning, where where we're taking our small groups through, you know, more depth, more information, more uh, contemplation, and, and, and focusing with our small groups in our church in general on learning something. So even this series that I just got done kind of rapping about and some of the footnotes and undertones and other ideas that are behind it, it really is designed, you know, to shift and adjust and to educate people on a totally different narrative and approach than what they've been, what they've maybe been exposed to or their general understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, that's one of the reasons I'm doing that series. And so what John and I are going to talk about now, um, as I've asked John to, Have a discussion with me about the importance of learning, particularly in in a Christian faith tradition where you might have dogma or you might have conclusions, doctrine, and those doctrines matter. You know, they affect the way that you run your church, the way you live your life, they matter. They're not just ideas. Mm-hmm. For example, now, every doctrine matters. But if someone has, like, some weird view of the Trinity, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to love people and care for people or whatever. They may have a weird view of it. And I'm not saying that's safe or good because the implications of it can go wrong in a lot of ways. But there are doctrines also that, you know, uh, about drinking, hot-button stuff. Mm-hmm. That you may say you know an interpretation of this doesn't you know doesn't need to be fought over that's for sure, but the interpretation of things like that throughout the church in the past hundred years have mattered and mm-hmm. how people live their lives and what they feel is okay on that particular topic, their churches right now down the street, you know the Nazarene tradition you you know drinking is just a sin right it's just not okay, so whenever you have a topic like that we 're going to pick one mm-hmm. and There's something about when you learn that thing and it's been taught in the context, in the nest Mm -hmm. of your Christian faith, it feels safe. It feels like home until it starts to hurt you. But generally speaking, if someone moves off of that teaching, that can feel really scary. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people will, will, a lot of people will abandon the process of learning something new because they don't want to jeopardize their culture or the thing that they've taught or what they've done. And so I've seen a lot of places, you know, just stay, stay married to things that they've learned just because, you know, that's what we do. But even if new interpretations come to light or they know that they exist, they just won't go there Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's hard to turn a big ship. It it, it could cause a lot of discord, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. So I have always been, of the mind when it comes to learning and looking at every doctrine, whether it's a major doctrine or a minor doctrine that you could, you should continue to grow. You should, should continue to add color to, to any major doctrine. What does it mean that Christ is divine? What does it mean? Emmanuel? What, you know, go deeper. And the more you go, it's just going to solidify some of those, those pillar doctrines, but then there's other stuff like what we're going to talk about, which I'm not saying don't matter, but they're not as in, they're not as central to the faith and and uh adjust like adjust like go towards things with new learning, continue to to you know beat the carpet, like figure it out, mm-hmm. learn new things, and make adjustments like and a lot of times what I see in the Christian world is because of the dogma of Jesus is God do you yes or no there's this kind of certainty and absolutism that we have to like know and you'll apply the certainty of believing that Jesus or the concept of believing that something is a hundred percent true or hundred percent false to everything and mm-hmm. go, so you can't shake me on anything. Cause if I do, if you do, then I'm abandoning my faith. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've, I've been on a journey of constantly solidifying the form, the foundation of our faith and then, having all these other areas where I am continuing to open up and learn and be adjusted to. Mm-hmm. And some of those things, as I learn them, they solidify my original view. And some of those things have changed completely. Yeah. So we're going to talk about women in ministry, mm-hmm. but uh, without going on anymore, I want you to just kind of like launch into this with me.
1: Yeah. So, so I mean, the first thing I want to say is what, what we're unpacking right now and your footnotes and everything is a perfect example yes. of the importance of learning. Yes. I believe that without understanding what you're talking about, the the biblical story makes no sense. Yeah. The Christian life makes no sense. Yeah. And so what you have is a lot of people that have been exposed to this. Yeah. And so they are Christians. They do believe in God. They do want to follow him. And yet what the church is called to do, that call makes no sense at right, all. Right. without this context of Genesis chapter one, John chapter 20, yep. and the commission of the church. Right. And so this is one of those things where the emphasis that we're, we're, we do as a church on this is different than a it's lot different. of churches in our tradition. It's different. Um, and, and it yet, doesn't make the things that were taught to them untrue. No, it doesn't. It it,
0: it qualifies them. It puts them in their appropriate space. Right. And gives those things, I think, more meaning.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, it unlocks a yeah. lot of the Bible. Yep. Like the reason, you know, so so to get into to the topic that you're talking about, yeah. it's kind of a good segue because one of the things that I think that I notice is that one of the reasons people are hesitant to examine new ideas yep. is because, you know, my opinion is that whatever you want to believe, it has to jive with the scriptures. Right if you can't read the scriptures, if you can't interact with the scriptures, if you're unfamiliar with the biblical story, then how are you supposed to do that? Right. So the safest thing to do is to really just kind of put your head in a shell. In a sand, yeah. These are the things I was taught. I don't have the tools. I'm not equipped to go into the Bible myself and understand the story and understand how this fits, how this doesn't fit. Because, you know, my answer to your question is gonna be that we should never be afraid of the truth. Right. Like one of the reasons I'm comfortable examining and thinking about anything that, that might come up biblically is because I believe that the Bible is inspired by God. Right. I believe it's truth. Right. And I believe that the answers lie in there somewhere right. in that revelation. And that means that that no matter what it is, like why am I gonna be afraid of the truth? Right. Well and that's the question. What are you afraid of? Yeah, well and, and, and when you don't when you're not willing. And I think that's obviously a complex answer. Right. I think one of the things people are afraid of is they don't quite know how to engage that. Yeah. Because, you know, biblical illiteracy is not necessarily—I'm not saying that as like a a pejorative term of like, you know, to shame people— But like that's where you're gonna go to look if you can't handle the text, right? And I don't mean in an expert way, like if you know Greek and Hebrew and stuff. I just mean like if it it offends you and you way you don't know how to handle the text, you don't know how to look in there. Then it's kind of unreasonable to ask people to be able to take something new or something fresh and to say, well, does this jive with what you believe, right? So I think that you have to give people the tools to yeah. be able to do that. And then once you have the tools, you should be fearless in right. the fact that, you know, I actually believe that the Bible's the word of God. Right. I don't think, oh, that's a cool thing that we say as Christians. I think it really is. And right. therefore, let's let's dive into let's it. Let's it, it, about it. Let's see so, what it says Let's see
0: what's going on. Right. So so if it says something and it says it in one spot, let's see what that meant in that one spot. Let's see what it means throughout. Mm-hmm. And let's not let's not be I'm, I, it's maybe not the best. Let's not be married to every conclusion that we had. If we learn something new, so let's talk about this uh, this idea. I mean, you and I had a, a brief interaction about you know conservative interpretation of the Bible, yeah. and 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 so jump into your. You, you told me you were going to kind of bring up some stuff about some of the terms here. So go ahead into that.
1: Yeah. So the words conservative and, and liberal. Right are applied to certain methodologies of interpreting the Bible, but right. those are very culturally loaded phrases for yeah, us. Right, that we infer political ideas from. Right. So the the reality is that what we're talking about in terms of conservative theology has nothing to do with conservative politics. Nothing at all.
0: Although people believe a lot of times that what you would call a conservative interpretation of the Bible is married to a political party that has a more traditional view of life and humanity. But we're, that's not what—when we talk about conservative theology, there's no actual connection. It's just a word. Well, there,
1: there may be connection. There might be some connection. Know, that, tangentially. That, right, right. But but that's not what conservative right. biblical interpretation is. We're not saying means. there's Republican interpretation no. and then there's Democratic interpretation. No, I mean, you have, you, you have to remember that, like— the Bible was written 2000 years ago, the new Testament. So like they didn't have (laughs) capitalism. They didn't have democracy. They didn't have America. They didn't have the French revolution. Like none of that stuff existed. So it's not speaking to those things. Our job is to take the truths of the scripture and to, to try to live that out both, I think systemically, structurally and individually, but that's not really what we mean. So, so well, and just, just to, just to say that because anyone that's listening that has this idea of
0: their theology being conservative and that being important to them. And that meaning that what their party teaches, they agree with Mm -hmm. that's dangerous. Well, it's idolatry. Yeah. It would be worshiping party over, over the person of Jesus.
1: And and, uh, vice versa. Right. Progressive interpretations of the scripture, meaning that it has to do with the progressive political ideology. It's the same. It's the same idea. They're both idolatrous because you've given up the Bible as the central as the, the ultimate authority. Yeah.
0: So, so I, I want people to hear that it is very important when we're talking about learning mm-hmm. that y- your, your source for what is true and what you believe is right should always transcend your political party. And what I mean by that is, like, you should be okay and w- with learning something that stands against where your party stands, and that shouldn't actually bother you that much and if it does then you might be idol- like uh, worshipping your party over worshipping god and wanting it what are you looking to for the source for truth yeah. y- your truth should inform your world and what you decide to do not your world and you know y- not the political party informing you and telling you what you should believe Right, you need to do your own work. So I, I just want people to
1: hear that, like you should. You should be uncomfortable. Yes, with the political philosophies of the day. Yes, both conservative mm. and progressive, in in, in our context. And, I think yeah. that you're not going to find a biblical worldview that jives completely, completely with those things. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't participate in, right? In, you know, civics, and it yeah. doesn't mean that you shouldn't vote, and that doesn't mean, that you, but like you know we do not give our allegiance to a political party. We give our allegiance to Jesus. Right. And that means that we, we stand with, with a steel spine on our convictions in Christ that, that we've come to biblically. And like we don't budge on that because the people that we tend to vote for you know, have moved from that position to something else. That's just not the way that, right. that it works. We're, we're allegiant to Christ. This, this is very
0: real in the church because for me, uh, I have taught things. Particularly, I've taught things about race relations and because of all the new, you know, stir up with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter that that tended to obviously come from what was, you know, the liberal agenda or the Democratic side of things Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, uh, plenty of of reasons. But that's where it, it tended to those caring about those things fit into that that narrative, at least generally speaking. Well, caring about race and caring about people and the image of God transcends that party. It's so much bigger. It's such a biblical idea. But there are people that thought that because I wanted to make sure it's important, you know, that God's actual vision for humanity was a multi-ethnic table of people gathering in the name of Jesus, Mm multi-ethnic. There are people that thought that, that I was just picking up a liberal agenda. Yeah, and so I have things, you have things that we believe are from the Scripture that don't fit in either side right? and and some that do. There are some things I believe that fit that side and that that, that group might agree with me on. Mm-hmm. And then there are some things on the other side too. So I, I think it's important that we don't need to go much more into this. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- when we're talking about conservative, we're not talking about politics. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about uh, a—, a what Give a definition for yeah, what? Yeah,
1: so, so I think like maybe a better word to use for this is orthodox, yeah. which is kind of confusing because there is a denomination called, you know, the Greek orthodox, orthodox yeah. the orthodox denomination, Russian orthodox. But orthodox means, so so the word ortho in Greek means straight. So if you think of like an orthodontist, yeah. talking about like straight, straightening your teeth, straightening your yeah. teeth yeah. right? Yeah. And so, it's, you know, you just think of like modern colloquial phrases and idioms, like a straight shooter, right? That means you, you tell the truth, right? Are you they give it to me straight, right? That means that you tell the truth, direct, direct. Mm-hmm. And then you know the the doxa part of it, it, it at the end is it's a word that means like glory and kind of like worship, but it, it, it can mean like opinion mm-hmm. or thought, okay. And so orthodoxy means like correct thought, okay, and. Uh, historically, what orthodoxy is is I think it, it, there's there's two criteria for orthodox faith. It jives with the scriptures, which are your foundational element, source, and it jives with church history. Okay, which is confusing sometimes because church history changes and stances change and interpretations change, and you know this is a, a human process led by the yeah, spirit. Yeah. But there's fractions and, and and there's fractures, and so. Uh, but but I do think that, you know, uh, the creeds, mm-hmm. things like that in church history, this leads to, to orthodox faith. And so if it's a right belief, if it's orthodox, that means that it's not going to change. Yeah. So that means that as culture shifts, as people's opinions shift, as the acceptability of an idea or a truth changes and ebbs and flows in culture and in popularity, you can't change. Right. Like you, you are convicted yeah. of something because of the scriptures right? and because of, of church history. That's what it says. That's directly from there. That's what it means. That's what it says. That's we're not, what it means. So I, it I understand that now culturally you tell me you can't believe that. That's not a part of polite society to believe that anymore. As Christians, you know, if, if it's orthodox, you have to plant your feet in the ground right, yeah. and say, well, I, I sure. do. I yep. do believe it. Yep. So the way that that kind of, Uh, coalesces with conservative is the word conservative means to conserve. Yeah. So it means like, instead of like progressing or changing on certain things, you're rooted in the scriptures. So you don't change. Right. So that belief is conserved. Right. Or preserved. Or, or, or or preserved. Right. Exactly. And, and so I think that that's kind of like a, a good way to, to kind of think of it. Typically for me, there's like, what I would call like die for issues. So the right. way that, that I've been taught is that there's die for, divide for, and debate for. Mm-hmm. And you have to be careful about which one falls yep. in which category, yep. but you say, know, say that again, so, die for, so die for, which is, you know, theoretically the persecution comes and they ask you to denounce Jesus. Right. As Lord, And you die for that. Right. There's divide for, which is where it's hard to worship together. With a difference in this, maybe Mm -hmm. you can't, you know, uh, historically speaking, this mostly had to do with things like communion and baptism Mm -hmm. and what those meant, because those are the signs of the covenant. Mm -hmm. So if you have different understanding of that, it's hard to be in in the gathering of of saints together. So there are issues that you might divide for. Uh, we, We shouldn't. But but there are differences of interpretation, and then debate for which yeah. is where you have a, a congregation of people. So they believe different things, yeah, and about certain issues, and they have different understandings. Uh, you know, we have issues like that yeah. here. Yeah. We call them kind of open-handed, yeah, issues. right, right. And you have to be careful about which one you put in which category. What I see a lot is people dividing for. Probably debate for debate issues. for issues, yeah, right. Or people compromising on die for issues, right? Yes, which you know you really shouldn't shouldn't do do on those. So so that's kind of like New Testament. Yeah, I, I love that New Testament divide for
0: the eating of the food sacrificed to idols. This is what people would divide for. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a reason like people would be like, we well, we can't we can't be with them, and that doesn't mean that that was right. But those that's an example of an issue in the early church right. that people would divide so, for.
1: So Paul was writing to churches, telling them how to deal with that issue because they were dividing. Dividing for it, right. And yep. so he was actually coming up with strategies as to how to keep that keep division from Not happening. dividing, right. Um, and so that's, 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 a, that's a good example.
0: Leadership. Leadership. Uh, uh, Apollos, mm-hmm. right? Like different voices people were dividing over. Right. Who they liked
1: more. Right. And... Is it what Paul's like? Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not a, that's not a divide That shouldn't for be a issue. divide. We worship Jesus. We don't worship Paul. We don't worship a So the divide for issues shouldn't divide. Uh, the divide for issues should divide. So, they should? Yeah, I think so. Like, uh, they might so so
0: someone's on the wrong side and someone's on the right side? Yeah, yeah, I okay. think so.
1: I mean, in terms of, of a biblical interpretation... Yeah, I mean you can. So you be should divide sure. because you're going look. That is just not like we can't. But, but but the issues that you just brought up. Yeah. So, am I an Apollos guy or am I a Paul guy? That's a debate for issue that you've made. That's it actually, divide. kind of irrelevant. That if you're dividing over it, that's why Paul's writing and right. saying don't do that. Right. So he's saying don't make a, a a secondary issue primary. Yeah. But, um, you know, an example of, let's say, you know die for issues. Right. You think of the Trinity. Right. Yeah. So the understanding of the Trinity, that we have a Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. The, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the the nature of Jesus as fully divine, fully human, um, His right. incarnation, life, death, resurrection, ascension, right. um, the reality and the purpose of the universal church and the image of God. Like those are right. truly... Die, die for, for issues. issues that Jesus is King. Jesus is King. Jesus is God. Yeah, Jesus is God.
0: The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And he, and He's been given. And He's been sent. Yeah. He's been and, and that
1: animates the church. And, and now animates, the church yeah. is the bride of Christ. Yeah. And the church is commissioned by yeah. Christ to yeah. with His authority yeah. to um, to fight the battle on this earth. With the armor of God, right, like Ephesians chapter six, right, and so like those, you know, the, but those are kind of like creedal things, like that's yeah. the Nicene Creed, that's the Apostles' right. Creed, and so the that's Great Commission, the Great Commission, yeah, and so those are the those Resurrection, are, the, the oh yeah, the I Resurrection mean, of Jesus, the Resurrection, bodily of Jesus, the, and resurrection and the Resurrection of, of, of the Saints the dead for all yeah, of us. Yeah. Um,
0: okay, so let's let's go into this. Mm-hmm. So this particular issue. We're going to unpack women in leadership in the church. Yeah. So where does this fit in In the three categories?
1: Um, This is probably from a church leadership perspective. there's a divide. There's right? going to be a divide. There's for going to be a divide. Because there's going to be people who don't. Now, I think, honestly, I mean, this might sound kind of weird, but from a... From, Yes, yeah, probably it's probably divide for. Um, You're not gonna and, be able. And you do. You like, do. You That's what I mean. That's this, what. Yeah. This is, this is a, a dividing
0: issue. People divide. Uh, there's a church locally that changed this. Yeah. And and a bunch of people left the church.
1: And and there's there's good reason for the for the um, lack of clarity. Yeah. It's a hard. It's thing a hard issue biblically to yeah. get into. Yeah. So you know, kind of like where where we come from, or at least where I come from. Yeah. Is when you look at the scriptures, there is specifically, you know, in first Timothy two, right. Where it says, this is a the woman one should learn in quietness mm-hmm. and submission, full submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach, teach. In, in the gathering, teach a man, right. Or to teach a man. Is yeah. that where, is that the exercise authority mm-hmm. one? Yeah. And so, um, you have to deal with that, right? Like you, you have to actually deal with that verse, right? And that's that's what's difficult. And that is, you know, I think that there's certainly a level of of cultural patriarchy in history. Yeah. But it's not, that's not actually the main reason that this is controversial. The controversy in this is because of verses like that. Right. That kind of lay that out and make it so you can't just say, ah, Paul probably didn't mean that. Is that the one where
0: he references Genesis 2 yeah. as a supporting example? Yep. So yep. That, that's the part where to me, and you and I have talked about this, where that verse... Is one of like two or three verses and theological challenges that even our, like one of our favorite theologians and probably the brightest theologian we know of, N.T. Wright, says he wants to ask God.
1: Yeah, he said that would be the question that he'd ask God. Be, why, why did Paul talk about that? Why did Paul that talk way? that way?
0: Because his conclusions about women in the church are are not based upon if you were to just look at that verse yeah, right. and apply it in, in today. Yeah.
1: And, and and I think that that's key. Like the the one thing that that you cannot do with this stuff, and this goes back to orthodoxy, is you can't say, well this isn't in fashion anymore. Right. This isn't in vogue. Right. I would feel like a bad person if I said this was true. So right. I'm gonna change yeah. or shift. Like you can't do that. That is right. not hermeneutics. That's right. not you being gotta have true an to honest Bible you have to go back into the scriptures and you have to actually find what is the best interpretation with the least amount of problems for an issue like this. And so I
0: think it's so important when you say that, because remember like we're talking about learning. Yeah. So when you just said that, what's the best interpretation with the least amount of problems? Yeah. Because a lot of these issues, they got, they got a lot, they all have problems on either side or, or whatever four conclusions you can come from it. I mean, mm. if you just look at drinking, I mean, you, you know, you got people that are like, I'm sorry, like, yes, you're allowed to drink and blah, 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 but drinking is a drug and, you know, alcohol is a drug and it destroys people's lives. And, and my goodness, you can't serve that type of thing. And there are people that conclude something different than what we have. Mm. And we believe that drinking's okay and that you shouldn't get drunk and that it can be used for celebration and it can be used for, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Excess and mm. you know, ruin. So, just like anything, right? But th- there are people, man, they they believe that I'm sorry, you cannot see that a different way. You can't see it because it's so bad. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I digress. Go, go, let's go into this
1: more. Yeah. So, so, our so we believe that in our church and we practice this that women are sanctioned and commissioned by God to serve at the highest levels of leadership, including lead pastor, including teaching pastor, and including, um, the authority to teach men the scriptures. And so we practice that. And the reason that we practice that is not because we're particularly enlightened or progressive or know that that's where the cultural tides are shifting. And so we need to, to, to move with it or else we're going to like die or something like that. that. That is not how we go about this. We think that that I, that understanding of women in church leadership is the best interpretation of scripture yeah. with the least amount of problems. Yeah. Now you have to deal with this second Timothy passage, which I'm not really going to do today. Right, but yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that the way that we interpret all of our ethical issues that, that might be hot button, is we interpret them from the beginning yeah. of the Bible to the end of the Bible right. as a broad swath yeah. of the story of God right. and the movement of God and what is being taught and shown and demonstrated, like, along the way. Right. So a good... so not just
0: explicit, but implicit. That's one of the things yeah. I say, because I, I believe that, in, that the Bible is very implicitly clear. Right that women are called to this level of leadership.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's pretty good examples of this, like, throughout the scriptures without getting, you know, too into the details. But, you know, Genesis 126-28 right. is yep. very clear that men and women are both created equally in the image of God. Yep. And given the same uh, vocation. And given the same vocation to rule and to reign mm-hmm. in this world, the highest vocation. Yep. Um, the strife between men and women in Genesis three sixteen is a result of the fall. Yeah. So you shall desire your husband, but he shall rule over you. This yeah. is a consequence of sin and the fall, not the way it was originally right, designed. Right. Not in Genesis chapter one. Not in Genesis one. And so then um, you see you see. So people, just just to
0: camp on that because people you know we move we might we n- can move n- fast.
1: N- I would say that uh, just a disclaimer: most people who believe in. The, you know, what's called complementarianism right. in the church, which is women aren't to teach men. But they're, e- they're equal. They, they, they would... Equal in they value, confirm, not equal in role. They would confirm those two things. Right. So this is not something novel that we have right. come up with. Right. Like everybody would confirm those two things. right? The, the interesting thing is like, as you move through the story, there is an example in the Old Testament of the leader of Israel being a woman, yeah, which is Deborah, Deborah yeah. judges, yeah,
0: and maybe one more is
1: maybe two women. I mean, throughout the narrative, uh, I don't, I don't. Maybe know. it's just Deborah. I think it it's just, just Deborah be, as, yeah. as, like a judge, because yeah. the judges in in that book in that period they were the the, rulers. They were the rulers, yeah, and so like yeah. they were they were the ones who were heading up, yep. you know, Israel in this strange time period that they were in, and so you have that there that you would have to figure out how to deal with, and then like you get into the New Testament. And the, the women are the ones who preach the gospel for the first time, the gospel of the resurrected Christ. So they come back and they're the ones who Jesus reveals himself to. Right. And they come back and they tell the male disciples. Mm -hmm. So they're the first ones who are preaching the gospel. And and he tells them to. And he tells them to. He says, go and and tell tell the brothers. Yeah. Yeah. And if you like the road to Emmaus, Mm -hmm. they're, they're walking and they say, you know, we thought this guy was the Messiah but he died. But then some of our women came to us telling us this wild thing. Yeah. Like, we're just like really like confused about what's going on right now. And we're I think, s- I mean, I think that that's, I mean, the resurrections the the hallmark of our faith. Hallmark. Who's the first one to preach it? Yeah. Who did Christ appear to? Who did he commission first? It was the women.
0: It's also a good argument for like historical, you know, uh, accuracy and, uh, validity in the sense that if someone was trying to make up a resurrection story, the last person that they would have go tell the message would be a, a female in, because, that, in, that, in that, culture. that culture because a female's voice didn't mean anything.
1: Right. right. So he's like, it was a, it was a, a culture of male headship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So,
0: I mean, the fact that the narrative is written and this is what happened and Jesus is the one who knows what culture he's in. Yeah. And he says, go and tell them mm-hmm. that I am here. Right. You, you got to believe, I mean, you can live in this. You got to believe that, that he would say that right now to women. Yeah. Go, and, and that's, go and tell the men. And, and that's, that's what I believe. Too. That's what I believe. Now, again, the Genesis passage, this passage, the, the, the Timothy passage, mm-hmm. implication explicit. Mm-hmm. This is where people, some people have a problem with the implications of the narrative uh, being authoritative and being enough to trump the explicit articulation that Paul does to Timothy or whatever, I don't. I, I think it shows. I think it's part of what's being revealed. This is part of learning.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the, the, there are ethical issues that we believe because of the movement of Scripture that are never explicitly talked about in right, Scripture. Right, exactly. So, like, it is part of biblical it Give, an, give an, an example. Well, I mean, explicitly, abortion is right. not talked about right. explicitly. Right. Um, and yet, because of the the sanctity of, of human life, because of the image of God concept that is foundational to Christianity, and because of the way that the Bible talks about children. And, and yeah. I mean, the, the, in the Old Testament, children were the blessing. Yeah. I mean, you talk to Abraham and Sarah, the beginning of the rescue mission, the blessing was a child. Right. And so you move through that explicitly. Now there is no verse in there that says like, thou shalt not abort a child in the womb or something like that. But we as Christians, I mean, historically from the beginning have always been pro-life in that way. In that way. Because of the movement of, of the, the scriptures. Right. Now you do have to figure out, you know, what to do with with that Paul verse because it is the, in there, right? And it is explicit. But, it, bo- it bothers me. But on the other side, that, that's, that bothers me. But on the other side, um, if you're going to be a complementarian in your church organization, you got to deal with the other stuff. You have to deal with the Jesus and and um, the women thing. You do. It, you have to also where you, you going to s- deal with the fact that Paul calls Junia in, in yeah. Romans 16 yes. an apostle, right? And he calls them coworkers, and, and he sends Phoebe reads the letter of yes. Romans who, who, you know, that's a preaching role. That's a teaching role. Yep. Yes. It's his pen, but it's her voice forming it. I mean, he's not like FaceTiming in right. to add commentary. Right. Like it's her who is, who is responsible for it. So like you have to deal with that also. Yep. And so like, you know, biblical interpretation. Yeah, what does that mean? Is that a not, Did Did Paul mess up? Did Jesus mess <laughs> yeah. up? Well, you would assume, I mean, Paul's the one who wrote to Timothy. Right. So he understands what so he's saying. He understands. Saying. And so, like, I think that it's reasonable to assume that what Paul's dealing with is a situation uh, where women have never been allowed to speak and speak and authority. preach and interject and all of that in that culture, really publicly. And so now you have a church and i would assume that there's disorder happening and some of that may be coming from something like that so paul is giving a prescription to a church right that timothy's leading right and and maybe know, the women there do need to sit down and be quiet because it's it's
0: it's getting in the way of the message and yeah. to me when i first learned this that's where i learned it from mm-hmm. an interpretation that was brought the context, the, the explicit nature of that verse, the implications of it in the current world now is where it all made sense for me, because the example that was given was if you were going to go to Africa, right? Boy in Borneo, whatever type of thing, you're going to go teach someone and they only listen to women because they're afraid of men. Then you would tell that leadership team, don't let the men speak. Because they won't listen they'll only let they'll only listen to women like a practical yeah they'll only listen so, so again just take it and move it however you want take mm. out what gets in the way what was yeah. getting in the way was some type of disruption which there's all types of cultural reasons in, in history and why but take that concept and apply it to anything yeah. if, you know if if someone has been heavily traumatized by you know a uh, A person with silver hair then then, when you 're going to go try to help them, don 't send a person with silver hair, yeah because they 're not going to listen, yeah you know what I mean so yeah. because what 's well, paramount is the message and the teaching and th- the
1: church, and I think it's important to understand that like you know it doesn 't say that anywhere with right. w- all the stuff that we're talking about, it 's implied yeah, it 's something that you have to dig into, yeah, and you know I am like I am not heavy handed in my theology in a the sense that i don't I don't think that, like, it's impossible that I'm wrong about this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, of course, like, I mean, you're trying to interpret something that's complex that seems to have some kinds of of contradictions. And I also think it's important with this to understand that, like, the idea of, of, you know, women in, in leadership in the church, like, it doesn't actually mean kind of one of the cultural movements of our time that kind of claims that there's no difference between men and women. Right. Like as Christians, we think that male and female, he created them right. is a really important thing where that's determinative of part part of our identity. Yeah. That you're that you're created male, you're created female, that male and female are different and they have different things to do yeah. in the world. Yeah. I mean that, that that's that's for sure. So so it's not necessarily like even on an issue where we might jive with something culturally that's happening there's usually when you're a christian there's a point where you no longer do right and you have to stand your ground on whatever that that nuance is some some of it
0: to me you you mentioned patriarchy and of course the the results of the fall and how you Mm -hmm. know men and use their strength for the wrong reason and and that's a part to me of how this this it was turned into kind of a male dominant society, using your strength for the wrong reasons, sin, all those things. And, 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 uh, survival, you know, like when you're talking about who's strong and up until the last 200 years, I mean, you watch these movies and stuff of people that lived in this, this world before you know, modern yeah. times. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I could not do it. But essentially the way that male and female were created or, or, or what, or however you want to look at it, even a result of their fall, the strength of the man was survival. You know, it was, I'm going to go hunt. I'm going to go build. I'm going to use my strength. And the roles were more clear because who's going to build the house, right? Like the, the man's going to build the house. Well, when you get into a time where some of those classic needs, um, aren't, aren't necessary for survival anymore then it can start to become confusing to people that just because those things are, are intrinsic or they're part of what it means to be a man that I have strength doesn't mean that the woman can't play the role of leadership in the church. For example, I remember I was, I was at a Baptist church, and uh, it was complimentary, as you can imagine, and it mm-hmm. was heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Women should not talk. Women should... Raise babies, you know, make food, and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting with the, the the pastor and him saying, "When you have kids, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. You don't want to wipe a kid's butt. When you, you, you the mom will wipe the kid's butt, and you'll be like, you know, that's not for me. <laughs> and I and I just remember thinking like that's such an arrogant like of you know, I, I can wipe a kid's butt. I should want to wipe a kid's butt. It's not just like that. Yeah. Men aren't supposed to do." things that women naturally and throughout the course of human history have fit into those roles. I view it as like kind of the whole spiral dynamics thing, which I don't want to get into, is like how humans survived. Because mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense. Even in my house, some of our roles are divided upon what what I would call self-evident, you know, the natural way we are. I I cut the grass. I do some of the, the handyman stuff. And she does a lot of the the natural caretaking thing, yeah. but we don't believe that, that that is the same thing as what God is talking about in terms of authority, using your voice, teaching, leading man. I mean, I think that women can lead in ways, uh, with their natural abilities and bring, uh, perspectives that it, the, one of the reasons I hate the interpretation of being complimentarian is what it's lost, what, what we've lost in the church, the voice of women. Not having them teach, not having their perspective, mm-hmm. which is unique, which adds to any culture value, so if the church has gone awry, I think in a lot of ways it's gone awry because we've we've said we're we only have room for one one side of the story,
1: yeah, yeah, i, I mean I think I think that that's a that's a true outpouring of of the fruit of certain yep. complementarian yep. traditions, yeah. Uh, But again, like, I just, I do want to make it clear that like, I, if I thought that that was the best interpretation from scripture, yes, then I would follow it. Me too. I just, you know, I really do, I really am persuaded by the evidence of scripture towards the egalitarian model that that we practice here. Um, And, and so, you know, but, but, but I understand why people come to the other conclusion. I do too. Uh, I mean, they're I, stupid, and I don't think it. they're right. Stop it! But this is I understand. Five fourteen church disclaimer it doesn't okay. mean that. I don't mean you're stupid. You're you're not. Doesn't mean that. That's why I feel like I need to.
0: No, actually, I have a good friend who is on is on the complimentary side, and he has genuine conviction, and he's very very bright. Yeah, and that's where he is, and I'm and, and you know he's not stupid.
1: Yeah, it's actually you know in my opinion it is a different conversation the church leadership structure, then the social gender role structure right. yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, conversation. Right. 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 I think it's a different conversation. No, I agree. They get conflated Yes, because we're having conversations right. about men and women and leadership and roles yep. uh, in the secular world yep. as well. Right. And have been for a while. Right. And so we kind of think, well, it must be the same. It must, it must be, the same. be the same thing. And I, I don't think that it is because I think that what we're talking about is a specific issue of church leadership yes. that is addressed in Scripture. Yes. And we have to come to the best scriptural yes. interpretation of that. Yeah. And that means you have to dive into the yeah. Scriptures and, and to be able to to handle yeah. it. Because I'm comfortable
0: with roles in, in society. Yeah. I, I, I think it needs to be that way. I think most people want it to be that way.
1: Yeah, to a, to a degree. A lot of class, <laughs> I do. I, I mean, to a degree, I, I think that there's, you know, of course that there's <sighs> sinful fruit of both yeah, those kinds extremes, of things yep. and um, of, you know, yeah. And, and so that's why I think it's important to say it's a different conversation. It's a different conversation, like, yeah. I'd be willing to have a yeah. conversation about social right. ethics with people right. about gender roles and male and female and right. all of that. But that's not exactly not what exactly we're talking about thing. here.
0: It has influenced what we're talking about. It has. It has influence. Because it.
1: because of Christianity's so, right. influence on right. the Western culture. Yes. Where the movement for equality and suffrage and everything really kind of started. Right. And so I I mean I think that's no, like, it's good. That's like an important thing too. But again, like I do like this is my this is my Bible plug that I'll make every time a yeah. microphone's in front of my face is like like learn how to engage Handle. the scriptures. Yeah. Because that that's the question. We do sit with people a lot who have a problem yeah. with something that we're doing. And I'm typically they are not arguing with us about hermeneutics right. because they don't have hermeneutics. Yeah. It is more a feeling. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. i certainly wouldn't have conversations with people about that. But we're always going to be coming at it from a different angle because we're not setting our church ethics yeah. based upon feeling or cultural tide, or what seems normal in our secular yeah. context, we're setting it based on the scriptures. And so yeah. that's where we're coming from. Yeah. The way that we interpret the passage about women in ministry is the same way that we interpret the, uh, any yeah. passage about ethics. Yeah. The same methodology of yeah. interpreting the yeah. scriptures. And so um, that's just important for people to know about how good theologically sound churches yeah. come to their doctrine. Yeah. And to their policies. Yeah. It should always be coming from Scripture, which sure. I believe we do. Yeah, in in the in this uh, issue
0: specifically. Yeah. So don't. So as you're listening to this, like John said, don't be afraid of the truth. How? Why would you be willing? You know, be willing to l- learn something. Maybe what you thought was conservative, as in you're conserving a truth, uh, was a bad interpretation, and you need to adjust that. And you need to go. Oh that 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 that's off that that that's not where I should land. And maybe an actual more true interpretation is something that you haven't quite discovered yet. And uh, I think as you go down the the pathway of, of believing in the importance of learning, um, like whenever you're you bump up against these things, and there's confusion, don't run from it, unpack it more, listen to teachers about it, and uh, and come to a real conclusion based upon
1: as much uh, information as you can get, and 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 don't don't leave a church that you love because they believe something that you don't believe without having really done the work with yeah. them, yeah, with them, yeah. Now I understand, like you know, some people might not have the the uh, biblical training yeah. to do it themselves, but you should always ask a pastor to sit down with you and unpack how they got to that place before you take your family out of a church community that, that they love and that you're growing in, in Jesus with. Absolutely. So,
0: yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for doing that with with us. And, uh, uh, that's, we, we went long, so we're going to have to skip. I'm excited and we'll, we'll hit it next time. But, uh, uh, this is the rest. Uh, thank you guys for listening and, uh, we'll be in touch with you all again soon for episode three.